0: How many here this morning represent a family or a family member who has lost someone who served in conflict around the world? I've had two. How many of you this morning? All over this audience. If you go to Pearl Harbor, you will see the Arizona. It's a memorial that stands over the ship Arizona that went down, where hundreds and hundreds of men are still in that tomb. On the back wall of that Arizona Memorial is the names of all of those who were on that ship who went down on that particular fateful day. What you may not notice is in front of that memorial, one on either side, is a memorial stone that looks like this. And it stands for every member who survived the Arizona going down who wanted their remains to be brought back And they start on the left side from 1980 all the way up to the right side on 2016, who wanted to be buried in their remains to be with their shipmates who went down on that day. They never forgot, and neither do we. Father, all over this audience and around this globe are men and women who have given their all for the freedom that we so richly enjoy here this morning. We've been free this weekend. We've incredibly enjoyed, regardless of what we think and what we're losing, we have so much to be grateful for. And so, Father, for those men and women down through the years who have given their all, who have sacrificed everything, who are willing to serve and ultimately gave their life for the freedoms that we so richly enjoy and continue to enjoy and have enjoyed, may we too never forget. We thank you for the sacrifice hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of families who on this particular day and this particular weekend and tomorrow will remember again the loss. For some, it's an incredible ache that never goes away. For others, it's a milestone, a memorial stone of a loved one who gave their all, and they stand in honor of that. And for others, it's such a close reminder of the loss that they've received. And so, Father, I ask in the name of Jesus that you will continue to surround those families with your incredible grace. And for men and women who are still serving, many who have all over our audiences, we will recognize this Veterans Day, but hundreds and hundreds of men and women, many of them from our families here and others around this globe, who are serving, who aren't able to be around a picnic table tomorrow, who aren't going to celebrate tomorrow, who recognize that they're far away from home, still encouraged by the freedom that we so enjoy and they're willing to fight for. And so we ask in the name of Jesus that you will protect them, watch over them, and please, in your name, bring them home safely. We thank you again for this nation, for what it stands for. May we never, ever, ever forget. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. How many of you heard the word "homiletics? Do you know what it means? The art of preaching. Are you're familiar with mathematics? It's learning to use math. It's how math is used, what you do with it. Homiletics is the art of preaching. It's the preparation or delivery of the homily that many of you are familiar with, depending on your church background that you 've grown up with. I took homiletics class in college and seminary Homiletics 101 said you never apologize, especially at the beginning of a message. So you never want to stand up as a pastor and say things like, well, I've had a really tough week, haven't had an opportunity to put a lot of time into this message this morning, but I hope you like it. (laughs) Or this is an incredibly difficult passage. I'm not sure if I understand it, but I'm going to deliver it anyway. Now, anybody sitting in the audience is going to say what? Why am I here to listen to you then? If you haven't had a lot of time to prepare, you don't know what it's all about. You don't understand that section of Scripture. Why are you asking me to listen to what it is that you're about to say? Right? Of course. Now, that has nothing to do with today's message. But it does have a little bit to do with last Sunday's message. Last Sunday, I went home, and don't misunderstand me. Great material delivered with as much passion as I know how. By the end of the second service, I was exhausted last Sunday morning because I feel like I want to deliver with passion, and that was such an incredibly powerful message that I wanted to deliver it that way. But at the end of it all, when I reflected on it in the evening, by that night, I have a lot of times to rehearse what it is that I've done, I realized that was an enormous amount of information on a lot of different subjects covering four different churches. And I found myself saying, what were you thinking? Now, maybe some of you did as well. Maybe some are too nice to even think that at all, but I did. Now, my fear was by saying that, that I may have lost some really good points in a lot of material, and if you felt like that, my encouragement to you would be this. Go to butlercac.org and listen to that message again, because it was important. And I recognized at the end that when I went over all of that material and all of those churches and all of that information and tried to cover so many subjects to move to the end of what I felt was a really powerful understanding of what communion was all about, I may have lost some of you in the overload of information. Jesus gives us some incredibly serious warnings that we never want you to miss regarding your spiritual life. Our desire here at Community Alliance Church is that you grow and deepen your walk with God with sermons and Bible studies, and we encourage you to get connected in a life group. But most of it, to be really honest with you, will depend upon your desire and your discipline. Your desire and discipline to spend time studying the Word of God, asking God to help you understand what it is that He wants to say to you. He has preserved heaven and earth will pass away, he said, my word never will. And he has preserved the word of God for you and I to dig deeper in it, to understand what it is that he wants us to know in regards to some incredibly powerful, important truths. So my hope is that you really do as much as you possibly can to spend time reading the word of God, spend time memorizing the word of God. Well, I'm too old to memorize. No, you're not. Not at all spend time memorizing the word god meditating on scripture spending time in prayer even if it's a matter of starting 10 to 15 minutes a day most likely the best time for you is first thing in the morning i mean set your clock 10 minutes ahead of time if you're my age you're getting up 6:30 anyhow no matter how many times you set the alarm you still wake up early right remember the old days when we used to be able to sleep until noon you do and now all of a sudden you get to that stage in your life, you're going, why set the alarm? I, although I do on Saturday night because I had this recurring dream that I will wake up at 8.30 with Dave calling me saying, where are you? <laughs> but take 10 minutes a day, one chapter in the old, one chapter in the new, whatever it may be, reading the Word of God until it becomes so natural that it becomes a part of your life. Because I'm absolutely convinced or I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing all these years if I do not believe the Word of God can change your life. Now, this morning we finished our study of the seven churches in Revelation chapter 3. Church in Philadelphia. Jesus came into the world. You have sermon notes in front of you this morning. If you've not heard me say that before, sermon notes are a synopsis of the message. I literally go through and highlight the message. Mine's manuscript. So that you have a real good understanding of the flow that I'm trying to go through. Because I'm giving you what I spent a week studying and you're hearing it in 35 minutes. And I want you to really understand profound things the Word of God wants to teach us. Jesus came into this world over 2,000 years ago offering hope and everlasting life to a world that lost its way. He drew people to him in a hope that those who believed him would not only receive eternal life for themselves, but they would want to take this life-changing gospel of the message of Jesus everywhere they went to everyone they meet. His hope is that they are so transformed By the power of the gospel, they want to share it everywhere they go. During one of his most famous sermons, the Sermon on the Mount, the very outset of his ministry, he said to those who believe in him, you are this world's hope. You're the salt of the earth, the light of the world. This world can be changed by what I'm here to share and by your reception of that and your delivery to those you meet everywhere you go. If they're ever going to find hope, it's going to be because you shared with them what you have found in me. At the end of his ministry, he gave an incredible challenge. He said, I want you to take this life-changing gospel to the ends of the earth. Now, to them, it may have been a fairly small nucleus of places that they were to go. Now, when you and I look at it, knowing it as a challenge that has stood the test of time, he said, I really want you to take this gospel to the ends of the earth. And the Christian Missionary Alliance that you are a part of here this morning when you sit in this church has been doing that for over 127 years, taking the life-changing gospel of Jesus literally to the end of the earth, sometimes in places that only have a few people that are sharing that message. He said, I want you to make disciples of the whole world. I'll be with you everywhere you go, and remember, I'm coming back. In Revelation 2 and 3, it's almost as if he came back early to see how they're doing. And that really is a great analogy of what these verses are all about. He said to them, I'll come back at the end of time. But it's almost he comes back early to kind of check up as how they're doing. I know I've shared with you before, I grew up on a dairy farm. And when dad would go to the auction or go somewhere for a, a half a day in town, he would give us a long list of chores. And then he said, I'm going to come back and, and see how well you did on that. And my brother and I, after a number of years, could calculate how long it would take him to do all of that so we knew when he was coming back, so we could horse around for a long period of time and then try to get all those things done. And then none of you ever did that, I know. You're all incredible children who did absolutely everything your parents said you to do. But we didn't. And and we would do that, and then every once in a while, wouldn't you know it, he would come back early. And we're going, seriously? You were supposed to be gone until 1130. It's almost in this context is that Jesus comes back early to see how they're doing with that challenge of taking this gospel everywhere they went. Now, this time he's not challenging them from a hillside at the Mount of that mount. He's walking right among them. He's kind of walking up and down the aisle and really trying to check out what's going on and who's there and how they're doing and what's going on in that. He wants to see where they're at. And if we're honest, what we have seen so far is it's a pretty bleak picture. Church at Ephesus had lost his first love. Smyrna was being persecuted. Thyra, Tyra, and Pergamon were compromising their values in the worst kind of way. Sardis had done it so long, they're almost dead, numb to the voice of God, and Laodicea was making God sick. That's not a real good thing to come back to. But if you're in for some good news, and he was as well, then you want to get to the church of Philadelphia. It's in Revelation chapter 3, verse 7. If you're all there, Bible, iPad, U version, whatever you've got in your Bible, I really, really want you to be in the Word of God. Whatever form now you use. Because there's a brother of mine that said this morning, we listened to Paul Shepherd on Sunday morning on the way, and we we, we try to leave the house at seven, so we get the whole 20 minutes to hear him. African American pastor from California, the absolute most enjoyable pastor I listened to. Revelation chapter 3 said to the church. The angel of the church in Philadelphia write these words. These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the keys of David. What he opens, no one can shut. and What he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I place before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have a a little strength. You've kept my word. You've not denied my name. I'll make those who are of the synagogue of Satan who claim to be Jews, though they're not, but are liars, I'll make them come and fall at your feet, acknowledge that I've loved you. Since you have kept my command and patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial. It's going to come to the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. I'm coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from God. We'll get to that in chapter 21. And I'll write on them my new name. Whoever has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. If you're paying attention, if you're aware of the fact that this is still the Word of God, and God is speaking now through His Word, then I want you to listen to what He's about to say. That's what He's saying in that last verse. That's what He's been saying to every single church. Now, just because we moved to the final church, I don't want you to miss the lessons from the other. These are literal churches that needed to deal with some very specific issues. But obviously, they stand for churches down through time who have similar issues. And in many cases, he gives them a warning. Remember, repent or pay the consequences. Repent or pay the consequences. The same challenge goes all the way down through time to you and I. And when he says repent... Notice he's not talking to those outside the church. He's talking to those inside the church. We use the word repent all the time to people that don't know Jesus. We want them to repent, which means turn away from their old behavior, turn around, acknowledge they need a Savior, turn around and receive Christ. But when he uses this word repent over and over again through these entire two chapters, he's talking to those sitting in the pews who are a part of the church. A group of people, the one group of people who ought to know better. John says in 1 John, look, if you're a believer, don't sin. Whew, that's, that's a pretty heavy load to carry. If you're a believer, don't sin. And then he goes on in John 1, 9, if you do sin, you have an advocate. You can come and ask him to forgive you, and he forgives you. Shouldn't, though, be a part of your lifestyle anymore. You're a new creature in Christ. The old is put away. I come to him just as I am. Right? We've all sung that. We know the verse. We know the song, just as I am. He doesn't expect us to stay that way. With all of our baggage and all of our sin, we come to faith in Christ. It's incredible that God would receive us with all of our junk and all of our stuff and all of our bad behavior. When we come to faith in Christ, He receives us just as we are. He doesn't expect us to stay that way. He wants us to grow in our faith with Him. Now, some take a theological stance called dispensationalism, which sees the seven churches representing periods of time down through church history, stages the church has gone through in the last 2,000-plus years. First, the church was on fire for Christ, then lost its passion. During the reign of Nero, it went through terrible persecution, thus the Smyrna Church, so forth, all the way down through time. And then you get to the last church, Laodicea, that's apathetic and lukewarm. And they'll talk about America being that way and equating it to that. The problem with that, besides not having biblical foundation for it, you can't put the whole church in one category. Most believe that they talk about the North American church or the European church being athletic and lukewarm. The gospel of Jesus started in Middle East went beyond that when Paul took the gospel of Christ to Rome and all over Europe, and Europe was strong and passionate on fire, and then it came to North America. And if you watch that transition takes place, if you look at a global map, you'll see that Middle East is no longer on fire for Jesus. Europe certainly isn't. North America, not quite as much. Now it's transferred to the South America, Southeast Asia, and Africa have more evangelical believing churches than North American and European church. The problem is, Scripture wasn't written with Europe and America in mind. Secondly, there are some incredibly on-fire churches in all of those places. Try telling the South Korean church they're a Laodicean church that represents the end time. they sending more missionaries by the year 2010 than the United States does around the globe. Try telling the persecuted church in China or India that they look like Laodicea, lukewarm, and they will show you how much they're like Smyrna. These are literal churches, but they stand for churches down through the ages, some who have lost their first love, some who are severely persecuted, some who've compromised their values, who've allowed sin into their church, who seem numb to the convincing voice of God's Spirit, who've lost their influence, are lukewarm and mediocre. And there are churches like Philadelphia, weak as they are, taken advantage of the doors that God has opened, made an incredible difference in their world, and people come to the kingdom of God, bowed their knees to Jesus as a result of their witness. May God help us to be that kind of church. Philadelphia is one of the only two churches, Smyrna is the other, that received only affirmation and no correction. <clears throat> the situation was vastly different. In your notes, they haven't received any persecution. Actually, they're going to be spared from it. He says that. The Smyrna Church was known by not giving ground, challenged to stand firm in their faith. Philadelphia Church was marked by taking ground for the cause of Christ. Ordinary Christians extraordinarily in love with God, and they wanted to share that with everyone they met. They wanted others to find what they have found. Now, the critical question in your sermon notes is this. It needs to be asked to every church in every generation, will we... Will you, will we, as the church of Jesus Christ who knows him, by faith take what we have found to those around us? Will that be what we are known for? Because that's a great question that ought to be asked every church. If indeed we were to take an overview of who we are, what are we known for, what would we be known for? persecution not really lost first love i don't believe you can go through those Uh, will we be known as a church who has incredible understanding of what jesus did for us and a church that wants to make sure we do absolutely everything we can to take it to everyone we meet that's what he's asking us that's honestly what we should be asked and what we should ask ourselves Because we're not the persecuted church. We certainly don't have to be the lukewarm church. We're a church that has been given unbelievable opportunities. And the question will always stand down through time to every church that claims to know Christ as their Savior and claims to be evangelical, which means we want to evangelize. We want to take and give away what we have found in Jesus. Will we walk through those doors of opportunity and make a difference eternally in the lives of people? Jesus said, I'm leaving. I, 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 three years of ministry, dies on the cross, comes back to life, spends another 40 days challenging his disciples and said, I, really, this time I am leaving. And he does. Goes up into heaven. He says, it's up to you. Take this gospel everywhere you go. If it's changed your life, share it. Everywhere you go. And what we always have to ask ourselves, are we doing what he finally challenged us to do. Church of Philadelphia went through that door of opportunity. Remember, every time Jesus reveals himself to a specific church, he comes in a very specific way. To Smyrna, he said, I have the keys to death and Hades. To the compromising churches that we studied a couple of weeks ago and last week, I come as a sharp, two-edged sword. I come with those blazing eyes that look deep into your soul and see who you are. Here, he says, I come as the one who holds the keys of David. And you find yourself asking the question, keys to what? I mean, what does that key open? If you've ever found a key sitting in your house somewhere, especially after you bought it, you want to know, is this one of those keys that unlock a, a, a certain place, a certain thing that I didn't know? Maybe they had a hidden safe somewhere, and I get to find out what it's all about. Whatever that may be. Here, you, you want to ask the question. You hold the keys of David. It's different than you have identified yourself all along. Well, it's a reference to Isaiah 22. There's a man named Eliakim during the reign of King Hezekiah, the king of Israel, and he was given responsibility to watch over the treasury of David. It's like somebody gave him the key and the code to get into Fort Knox. I mean, that would be a heavy responsibility, right? Somebody said to you, here, this is the keys to Fort Knox. This is the code to get in. Now, you know, as I know, it's not that simple. Not like you just take a key and unlock Fort Knox, right? But would that be an awesome responsibility or what? All the treasury, of the world, everything that America's found, all those dollar bills in your wallet have a foundation behind them, all of this gold, all of these resources in Fort Knox. And here, here's the key. Here's the code to get in. We're going to trust you to watch over it and make sure it stays secure. Be a heavy responsibility, right? Well, that's exactly what this guy had. He has the keys to David's treasury. And if you've ever read the Old Testament, one of the richest guys on the planet, outside of Solomon, and this guy held the keys to that. Thinking, wow, incredible responsibility. In Jesus' day, the high priest felt they held the keys to access to God. Remember when Jesus came in and overturned the tables? In the New Testament, so upset, he saw the money changers outside the temple of God and he threw the tables over and turned them over. He made an incredible statement that only Mark records. The other ones do, but they don't finish it like Isaiah said. He said, my house shall be a house of prayer for all nations. Everybody has access to God. I want everyone to have access to God through me. That's what he is saying in that statement. My house shall be available to everyone, all nations, not just a few, not just the select, not those who think they're perfect. My house shall be a house of prayer for everyone. And so he says, I hold the key now. I hold that key. The high priest thought they held it, kind of held everybody at bay. I hold the key to life. I hold the key to all the resources of God. And he said, I am making them available to you, the church. I, I have a few verses in Ephesians chapter 1. They're written in your sermon notes this morning. I'm going to read a few of them. You read the whole book. I could read the whole chapter or two or three times. I'm just going to read a few verses. Where Paul, who now recognizes that all of this has been made available to him, he says this, praise be to God. And Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. He chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption. We're sons and daughters of the living God. When we receive, that's amazing. In accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he freely has given the one he loves. In him, in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us in all wisdom and understanding. I don't know if you've ever been in a setting where somebody just overwhelms you with grace. Whatever that may be, when it says he... I mean, he couldn't have gotten a larger resource to pour on us, not trickle down. I mean, he just flooded us with amazing grace and incredible love, which he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. I pray, I really pray you get that, he said. I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened in order that you could know the hope that he called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saint, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. And God placed all of these things under his Jesus' feet. Appointed him to be head over everything, the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. All the incredible resources of heaven through Christ have been given to us. I mean, he lists some of them. Redemption through his blood, forgiveness of sin, and according with his grace. It's incredible what God has given us. And he said, I, I hold all of that in my hands and I give it to you, the church. And I'd love for you to use it. I'd love for you to take advantage of it. And I'd love for you to give it away. In his divine power, Second Peter in your sermon knows he's given us everything we need for life and godliness, everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. The church in Philadelphia and churches like Philadelphia have taken advantage of all those resources. I mean, they received them with gratitude, and they took advantage of it, and then they gave it away. I know your deeds, verse 8. Place before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have a little strength, yet you have kept my word. You have not denied. I'll make those who are of the synagogue of Satan who claim to be Jews, other they not, I'll have them come down and fall at your feet. <coughs> that verse is not verse 9. I don't believe that verse is a picture of a conquering nation coming to bow down in homage. Some believe that it's a symbol of gratitude. By those who used to follow Satan, you only have two choices, whether you like it or not, whether you believe it or not. You only have two choices. You're either following God or following the enemy. When you turn your life over to Christ, you're no longer following the enemy. You're following God. There's no middle ground in that. We like to think there is. Well, I'm not there yet, but I'm not doing that. Well, I I, I love you enough to tell you that's not how it is. You're either following God or you're not. And there's only two gods in this world. A lot of little G gods, small G gods, but there's only two major. We either follow Christ or we follow the enemy. These are, are, I believe, a symbol of those who used to follow the enemy, who have now come to faith in Christ as a result of the Philadelphia witness. And this is almost as if they want to say thank you. Thank you for sharing your faith. Thank you for sharing your wealth. Thank you for not giving up on me. Thank you for serving and loving and caring and believing. Their witness, that church who understood all they had received and gave it away, their witness had an incredible effect. And they just want to say thank you. Now, maybe there's somebody here this morning that have someone who shared Jesus with you who never gave up on you, who shared their faith even while you were laughing at them for sharing your faith, who loved you even when you didn't love back, that you just want to say thank. I want to be sensitive. I had a young girl come up to me a few weeks ago whose life had been transformed in a message and it happened to be a year ago on that particular day who just said, I just want you to know what God did in my life. That meant the world. I got to believe that every so often there's a person in an audience like ours who has somebody in their life who has shared with them what they have now found in Jesus. And hopefully down through the years have said, man, thank you. Thanks for not giving up on me. Thanks for loving me. Thanks for loving me even when I laughed at you. Maybe there's a husband who needs to say to a wife, thanks for praying for me. Because in most cases, what I have found in all my years of ministry, the the wife comes to faith in Christ first, and then the husband comes. And, And there's a lot of reasons for that. Most of the time, we men think we can figure it out on our own. We don't need God until we realize we come to the end and we realize, okay, I sure need God. Maybe there's a husband who needs to thank a wife, a child who needs to say to a parent, man, thanks for not giving up on me. Thanks for making me come to church. Because now I love Jesus, and I can't wait to find him, follow him, and be what he wants me to be, a student who needs to say to a teacher, thank you. I believe God has opened up an incredible opportunity for all of us at some point or the other in our journey of life with a sphere of influence around us to make a difference in the lives of people, people you live near, people you work with. We live in unprecedented times with unbelievable opportunities and overwhelming resources available to us to make an eternal difference in the lives of people. The question will always remain, will we walk through that door of opportunity? Will I take advantage of those opportunities and share in the spiritual needs of those around me? Will I give what I have found in Jesus? Maybe it's an opportunity to teach a class. To work in our children's department, you heard me yesterday say on the, on the phone tree, if we don't have enough help for the summer in children's ministry, some of the classes have to be shut down because we just we need a certain amount of help. You can't have 33 bodies in a room with no one else in there overseeing that. Right? It just makes sense. Maybe he's working in our youth department, wherever that may be, to make a difference in the lives of the next generation. Maybe it's to be an intercessor, to pray for us or our ministries or for the lost around you, to give to missions, to pray for missions, or even to go yourself. When God opens up that door, you want to give away the life-changing message of Jesus that you have found in him and take advantage of that opportunity. Let me give you just one example. And please, I want you to understand this clearly. There's a lot of people in an audience like ours. Almost 40% of our audience have come from Roman Catholic backgrounds, right? You're familiar with that. If you are familiar with all at what the Roman Catholic Church is going through, they're downsizing in a lot of different ways. And a lot of churches are closing down. we have got a lot of people in our community who are wondering, I've I've talked to some of them because they know what I do for a living. Where do we go? What do we do now? Now, I share with them what I have found because my family comes from that background. But those of you who have come from that background, who have found faith in Christ, who have found what you're looking for here, who have found everything you needed in your journey with God, you are the absolute best ones to share with them what I have found in Jesus. You're the best one. won't be me. Now, I'll never touch them all anyhow. It won't be me. That's just one example. But you know as well as I do, there are a lot of them going through that change and challenge, trying to figure out, where do we go to church? Now, if you have found help here at CAC, and you've found what you're looking for in Christ, who knows? You could help them. You could be the one to help them find what you have found. Now, if they're not interested, that's okay. But it could be the perfect opportunity for you to ask them. Can I give you what I've found? Can I talk to you about where I've been? Can I tell you a little bit about my journey? You're the best ones that can ever tell them what you have found in Jesus. And so the prayer is, God, who do you want me to talk to? It may not be anybody from... Roman Catholic faith, maybe from whole other hundreds of other contexts. God, who, who do you want me to talk to? Who is it in my sphere of influence who certainly seems to have lost their way and can't seem to find it? And, and I, I have found it. I'm not where I want to be. There's no one in this audience who say I'm exactly where I want to be with Jesus. I'm, I'm perfectly on this road. But man, am I not what I used to be? And I'm moving on this road, and I'm loving what I found in God, and I'm loving what I found in Christ. And uh, so, God, who is there in my sphere of influence that I can share life with? And then ask him for the courage to share once the door of opportunity is wide. It's opened up. It's o- the door is already open. I mean, it's, it's not shut. <laughs> the door is already open. In many cases, it's wide open. Question is, will you walk through it? Man, we could be overwhelmed with the amount of people that God wants to reach. And we have room for them. And we'll make room for them. Because I believe what we have found in Christ can change a life forever. And if you do, too good to keep to yourself. Father, I thank you for the doors of opportunity that you've opened for all of us at one point or the other. We're here because somebody shared with us or invited us or talked to us about it. A mom or a dad, a husband, a wife, a family member, a friend. Somebody invited us. Somebody shared with us about Jesus. Somebody had a living legacy in front of us and lived it out, and we wanted to be that next generation and the third and the fourth that continued to walk along this path of following Jesus. And so, Father, I I do ask in the name of Christ that all of us in this audience that have found faith in you and have found life in you, that you in these quiet 10, 20 seconds just bring a, a name to our mind, a face to our mind, a family to our mind of somebody in our sphere of influence or from our church background that needs what we have found in you. Father, give us the courage to then give it away, to walk through that door and share with them what we have found in Jesus. May this be the the week, may this be the year, the month, (laughs) that we walk through that door and see a, a life changed by what we have found in you. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Next Sunday morning, we're going to heaven. Now, between now and next Sunday morning, we literally could go to heaven. I guess that. But next Sunday morning, in the Word of God, chapter 4, 5, a little bit of 7, we're going there. Don't want you to miss it. God bless you. Have a great, great day. If I can pray for you.